Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy football. Draft your team with no in-season management. Get the optimal score each week of the season and have a shot at over $10 million in total prize money in their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, sign up with promo code FSE, and Underdog is going to match your first deposit up to $100. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with promo code FSE and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you today with the zero running back draft strategy. As I talked about last Friday, every Friday going forward is going to be strategy Fridays. We're going to be bringing you a new strategy point, maybe talking about a draft strategy each week. And today we're going to be breaking down all the elements of zero RB, how to properly execute it, what kind of mistakes you want to avoid. And we're going to do a mock draft where both of us are actually doing a zero RB to give you guys a real life example of what we're talking about. So if you enjoy this video, if you enjoy content like this, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below. What are your thoughts on the zero RB strategy? Anything will suffice down in the comment section and subscribe to the channel. If you are new, we cover everything from player analysis to strategy, all that kind of stuff on this channel over here. And if you guys want to support us in any way, Patreon and underdog is how you can do that. But Danny, how are you doing? Doing well. And uh, I'm sure all the comments right now are going to be like, see FSC fates running backs. FSC hates running backs. Well, I mean, you're valid for this video because we're going to be outlining the risk in overindulging at the running back position in your drafts and ultimately the effects and the benefits of what zero RB holds from a draft strategy perspective going into your 2022 redraft season. So yeah, I'm fired up. I've talked about this concept uh, and how it's applicable in dynasty, but obviously we're gearing towards redraft and how it can be used and properly effective in a redraft setting. Yeah, exactly. So before we get into it, as always, got to hit the intro. So two huge disclaimers that we have to make before we talk about this video is that number one, this strategy is for experienced fantasy players. Me and Danny have been playing fantasy a long time. So we feel comfortable executing this strategy. If you are new to fantasy, if this is your first year playing, or maybe you just played last year, I would highly recommend probably not deploying this strategy. And I think the reason that many new fantasy players don't think zero RB can work, or they think it's a stupid strategy is because it is difficult to execute if you're new, or you might just not understand how it works totally. So the other big disclaimer is that this strategy is a completely dependent thing of your league market. It is a tool that you can use if you notice your league market is behaving a certain way. For example, if you're in a league where the general mindset, because everybody's a new fantasy player, is take running backs early and often, I want to start my draft with three straight running backs or whatever the case is, then zero RB can be quite effective in that league format because you're basically fading the market of your league, fading the public, so to speak. And your wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end positions are going to be very plentiful because a lot of value is going to fall to you at those positions. But if you're in a league where everybody is a little bit sharper, they properly value players versus just trying to fill out the positions on their roster, then zero RB might be a little bit tougher because the value isn't just falling in your lap at those other positions. Yeah, and I'm mentioning that the biggest common misconception that I've seen a lot is that a lot of people will push the fact that, oh, running backs are scarce. Running backs are scarce. You got to load up early because by the time you reach a certain point, they're going to be all off the board. And the biggest problem with that is top end running back production is scarce. Your elite Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler years from years past 
are the scarce type of production profiles. However, your RB2 profiles, we see emerge in stretches, whether it, even if it's not for a whole season, we see, you know, four week bursts of Daryl Williams, four week bursts of, you know, Sony Michelle, guys that come out of nowhere and will have a stretch of sustained, do- or not dominance, but sustained production solely based on the opportunity presented to them. So being able to spot which running backs actually have access to that elite ceiling versus which running backs are solely there to plug your lineup is ultimately going to be the biggest swayer in terms of whether you want to go to a zero RB a hero RB or potential a superhero RB strategy. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get into kind of like the definition of, of zero RB zero RB basically is a draft strategy. I, I can't remember. Did Sean Siegel create zero RB? Is that who actually yeah. created it? But I'll let you kind of break down what the, what the draft strategy is, is all about. Yeah. So uh, Sean Siegel was the main creator of zero RB and I've listened to him talk about it multiple times. And uh, yeah, again, if you're not following Sean Siegel, if you're not following Rotoviz, you got to make sure you check them out because how Sean Siegel describes it is that basically it's acknowledging that the running back position is an opportunity based position versus a talent based position. And outside of your top elite league winning running backs, a lot of that production is replaceable through numbers, is replaceable through opportunity costs on the waiver wire late in your drafts. So understanding that, the theory behind zero RB is basically saying these, you know, first, second overall picks are going to get the best running backs available. If I'm picking at the six, seven, eight spot, instead of taking a running back in that round and trying to fill out the running back position, knowing, oh, they're scarce. I am instead going to get the elite contributor at the wide receiver position. The reason being because we know inherently that running back we get in the mid first round is not going to have that comparable upside to the players going at that first, second draft spot. Inherently, we understand that if you're taking Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey at the one, two, the person taking, you know, the RB seven or eight off the board in the middle of the first round is going to be at a point disadvantage. So it's understanding that, Instead of, you know, trying to match that RB1, RB1, I'll just take the best wide receiver, which will A, take a better uh, player at the other position, and B, make sure that I'm not pushing elite wide receiver talent down to the team that already got the elite difference-making running back. So it's a game theory perspective where if this guy has the advantage of me at the RB1 spot, I'm going to make sure my wide receiver position blows him out of the water, and I will scrap my running back position piece by piece later on. Right. And the whole point of zero RB in general is to win every position too. So you want to also be strong at your flex positions. If you play in a a league with multiple flexes, you want to also probably be stronger at quarterback and tight end, as we'll talk about in a second. So if you play in a league format, like my home league, for example, my league format is a single quarterback league, full PPR, two running back, three wide receiver, one tight end and two flex. You can start up to five wide receivers in my league format with a full PPR scoring format. So it may be beneficial to go zero RB if that opportunity presents itself where, you know, running backs are flying fast and furious off the board. You get to the 109 and Jamar Chase fell to you, for example. Yeah, and adding to that, I mean, another misconception that people have with zero RB is, oh, well, I'm going to make my wide receiver one and two spot uh, absolutely dominant, and then I'm just going to fill out my running back positions after it. The big reason why you go zero RB is to, as you mentioned, get an abundance of elite quality wide receivers, uh, an elite quarterback or onesie position, and being able to dominate at multiple spots. So in theory, you are treating your running back slots like your flexes, and you're building your flexes 
who have way more point potential than your opponent's flexes, knowing that, you know, your wide receiver three is, let's just say, um, T. Higgins, and their wide receiver three is like Russell Gage. You know inherently that T. Higgins is going to outproduce Russell Gage, and then you trust your own ability to be able to scrap apart that running back spot. Again, an opportunity-based position on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, exactly. Because I've seen many people be like, they'll they'll draft three straight wide receivers to start their draft, and then they'll draft, you know, Elijah Mitchell and um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who even goes in that area. Josh Jacobs is their RB one and two, and they're like, oh, I did a zero RB. It's like not really. You just drafted two dead zone running backs after starting with your draft with three wide receivers. And what the dead zone is, if you guys are unaware of the running back dead zone, it's basically the area of the draft where hit rates are very sparse. You don't know um, whether or not a player is going to stay healthy. For example, maybe they're in a bad offense. Maybe they have an unclear workload. Maybe they have, uh, you know, they're up there in age or something like that. Like Mark Ingram was, for example, a couple of years ago. And during this area of the draft, the RB dead zone, you guys can see on the screen, 35% is the chance that you have of drafting a running back that's going to give you an above average win rate. An average win rate is 8.33% or one out of 12 in a standard 12 man league. Uh, you want a running back or any pick uh, wherever you draft them in the first couple of rounds to give you higher than an average chance of winning. And your chances of drafting a running back in that area is only 35%. Yeah. And adding to this, uh, obviously you see the whole numbers, obviously this past year was the lowest at 18.18%. It's understanding the archetype that you're taking in the dead zone. Cause if somebody's taking a dead zone running back, the biggest problem that they do when selecting said running back is they look at projectable volume. When at the end of the day, as I kind of said, Volume is the most trickle thing that we project on a year-to-year basis from a fantasy football perspective. And as we've seen, Daryl Williams, Sonny Michel, Rashad Penny, etc., are all later selected or non-selected running backs that give you that volume in spades that we projected, you know, a Mike Davis going into next year so or last year. So ultimately here, the problem with the running back dead zone is that they don't have access to that elite ceiling and they're only based there solely because of the scarcity fallacy and that they have, you know, projectable volume going to the year. Well, Mike Davis is going to get 20 touches per game on the Falcons. Well, guess what? Mike Davis is not a good player, which is why he did not pay off at his ADP. Yeah, exactly. And usually the only detours that you want to make within the running back dead zone are young running backs with a ton of uncertainty. This year, the biggest examples being Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and Brees Hall. Because, I mean, those those injury-related factors are definitely a concern. But if those guys are able to stay healthy, we have pretty good outlooks, you know, receiving upside for some of those guys. And in Brees Hall's case, it's just a ton of unknown factor because he's a rookie running back. So that's kind of how the RB dead zone kind of plays out. In a zero RB, typically you want to avoid the RB dead zone, but if you detour, it should be for someone like the four running backs that I just mentioned. And conversely, wide receivers in this area of the draft have a near 50% hit rate because the reason that they're in the dead zone is because the running back position is inherently inflated by projectable volume and people chasing the next you know, mid-round running back that wins them a league. So the guys in the wide receiver dead zone, if you want to call it that, rounds three to seven where wide receivers are going, is they're there because the other positions are being pushed up the board, particularly running backs. So they're not necessarily terrible outlook players. They might just be pushed down the board because running backs are going higher. But these guys are hitting at nearly a 50% rate because they are good players and usually with good outlooks. Yeah, and the problem with why people uh, don't really understand the zero RB theory is that we'll see, you know, even some YouTube channels, even some, you know, big content creators We'll go into a draft, say, oh, well, I drafted two, three wide receivers. Now I'm just going to pound out my running backs. And people think if you avoid a running back in those first few rounds, you're conducting a zero RB. You kind of mentioned it. The hit rates for those wide receivers are higher. Reason being, 
from a strict value standpoint, let's think of it from a real relative NFL perspective. If a star wide receiver were to miss any time with injury, there wouldn't be a single wide receiver that would just absorb that production. It would mostly be pro produced through the numbers, through the variance, as we kind of went through, you know, the money ball uh, spectrum that we talked about last year when Michael Thomas was expected to miss the year and everybody was hyping up Marcus Callaway. Basically, teams don't think an inferior player is going to absorb that production. Teams think, oh, I'm going to be able to replicate that production on the aggregate. That is not the case with the running back position. If a running back who's averaging 23, 24 opportunities per game misses time, there's usually at least a clear backup or two clear, you know, committee backs that will absorb a lot of that production. So say that 24, you know, opportunity per game running back goes down for a five-week stretch, you're going to get one running back that gets, you know, 17, 18 opportunities per game, and then maybe the pass-catching running back that gets six opportunities per game. So that exact production is supplemented at a lower opportunity cost, whereas we can't necessarily replicate that production through the wide receiver position later on. Yeah, exactly. And another big mistake of the zero RB format that some people make is deploying it, like I said, in suboptimal league formats. Because if you have a league like mine, three wide receiver, two flex PPR league, that's very friendly to zero RB, you can definitely deploy this. Or if you're in a super flex league where you can load up on elite quarterbacks early, then you can definitely deploy this. But ex an example of a bad league format would be a two running back, two wide receiver, one flex standard league, right? you could theoretically still deploy a zero RB, but it's going to be a lot more difficult to uh, to deploy that if everybody else in your league is is getting an inherent advantage by having a lot of running backs who are inherently going to score a lot more touchdowns than wide receivers in a standard league, which is what you need, which is why PPR was created even in the first place. Yeah, the, the, the higher the bonus that you get for players involved in the receiving game is obviously going to benefit the PPR leagues because as we know, you know, touch, or touchdowns are more so... Uh, you know, a base factor with running backs, whereas receivers, obviously they're going to have supplementation through, you know, 90 plus receptions, hundred plus receptions. So yeah, in that format, if it's a two running back, two wide receiver, one flex standard league, like in a standard league period, you just need players that are going to score a lot of touchdowns because receptions don't matter at all. And again, that's going to favor running backs at that point. But most leagues that we usually see are either two wide receivers, two flex with a half or full PPR or three wide receivers, two flex with a full PPR, etc. And at that point, you're still getting elite upside at those wide receiver spots that a lot of people don't really associate. Not to mention, I mean, we talked about the hit rates in these, you know, the dead zone rounds, rounds three to seven, but we also see the highest conversion of breakout players at the wide receiver position in this range. I mean, just look at last year, guys like T Higgins, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, et cetera, were all players that not only outperformed their ADP, smashed their ADP. And from a fantasy football perspective, the biggest advantage that we can give ourselves is not players that will perform extremely well at the top of our drafts. Because obviously, you know, you want to sub, sub out those weeds and being able to spot the league winners at that point. But hitting on guys later on, hitting on those guys in the mid rounds that give you that elite level production that are next year's top 20 overall, top 15 overall picks is also the biggest advantage in fantasy football. Right. And then the last mistake of zero RB, in my opinion, this is not a written in stone rule. It's just my own personal preference. If I conduct a zero RB, which I've done in many underdog drafts, I want to win every other position. Like I said, I want to win my wide receiver positions. I want to win my flex positions. And also I want to win my onesies. I want to probably get an elite quarterback or tight end, if not an elite quarterback and a great tight end, like a Dallas Goddard or something like that. So that's typically how I like to conduct zero RBs. And we're going to basically outline how to actually get running back production because eventually you have to field starting running backs for your team. But rather than tell you what kind of construction we're looking for, we're going to show you. So Danny and I are going to do a mock draft 
starting right now where Danny is drafting from the sixth spot. I'm drafting from the 11 spot and we're going to set up the draft board in a way that it makes sense to go zero RB. So we're going to rig the first five picks and then the picks after that so that it looks like, hey, running backs are overvalued in this league format and it makes sense to go zero RB. So we'll, we'll show you that right now. Okay, so we're in the draft now and this is the scenario that has played out for Danny, right? Danny's on the board at the 106. He wanted... Let's say you wanted Austin Eckler, you wanted a running back to fall to initially, but you noticed that your league market has completely pushed wide receivers down the board. And I, I made a joke there. You don't need to. Yeah. No, I know. I was like, let's say you're a casual fantasy player and you wanted a running back, but you noticed that, you know, wide receivers are just not going off the board. My league market is overvaluing wide receivers. This might be a scenario in which I try going zero RB. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, we're looking at elite wide receiver options, not just like, you know, good you know, wide receiver one type of options, like players that can legitimately finish as the best overall wide receiver in fantasy, which oddly enough, the guy at the top of the screen did so last year. So the theory behind a zero RB here is that I see Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, and Dalvin Cook go here. Instead of forcing a Najee Harris, a Joe Mixon, DeAndre Smith, et cetera, here, I'm just going to take the best overall wide receiver and know that my advantage at the wide receiver spot is going to be comparable to their advantage at the RB1 slot. So I'm going to go with Cooper Cup here, and I'm going to have that wide receiver one slot at a big advantage comparatively to the rest of my league. Right. And similarly with my spot here, I could go a DeAndre Swift here, who I think has a good ceiling, but we got seven, eight running backs off the board already. At this point in time, my you know first round pick, DeAndre Swift, doesn't even hold a candle to Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor from an upside perspective, in my opinion. So what I'm going to do, similarly to what you did, is I'm going to take Devontae Adams at 111, who I think has the ceiling of a wide receiver one overall uh, season, a guy that can compete with the win rates of you know Cooper Cup last year and and guys like that because I think he's that good of a player. And we're on the board here. And again, the running back trend continues. DeAndre Swift and Alvin Kamara go at the one-two turn. That guy's like, oh, sh oh shit, I need to you know, secure my running backs because there's going to be none left for me at the 312 and the 401. Well, again, going zero RB in this situation, I could actually go one of two ways. I could go with Travis Kelsey or I could go with Stephon Diggs. Personally, I'm going to go with Stephon Diggs. I think he's, you know, a tear break for me at the wide receiver position. So I'm at this part, right? And I, my last, you know, top end running back here that I would personally take if I was running, you know, a hero or a bimoto would have been Saquon Barkley. Obviously, he goes off the board. These two wide receivers would have been the next tier here. And there is no running back here that is worth this pick, in my opinion. Whereas when I look at the wide receiver position, there's still names here, but the main player that I'm taking away is Mark Andrews solidifying that uh, that tight end spot getting an elite onesie position here in addition to the elite wide receiver I already have so I have upside to have the wide receiver one overall and the tight end one overall so getting Mark Andrews here two seven I'm locking in those two positions and getting a comparative advantage compared to the rest of my league yeah exactly you notice that you know the running back position fell off you can go um and you know pick a profitable tight end at that point in time makes a ton of sense there Yep, for sure. And uh, same thing. I got Cooper Cup in the first round, Mark Andrews in the second round, T Higgins falling me to me in the mid third instead of one of these, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner types at running back. Like, yeah, just give me a T Higgins here, lock it and forget it. That's going to be my wide receiver two all season. Yeah, exactly. Now, I was hoping George Kittle or Kyle Pitts would fall to me here at 310 or at 42. Um, at the tight end position, I'm probably a little early for Darren Waller, in my opinion. Plus, I already have Devontae Adams. I don't know how much I want to stack up on that offense. But I'll take an elite target share wide receiver 
um, like Deontay Johnson here. And I'm going to hope that Pittman falls to me at four, two, because I really like him this year. So Michael Pittman is my other pick here. So I start off my draft. Yes. I'm going to be weak at the running back position, which is the basis of this whole strategy. But my wide receiver four stack is fierce, right? I got four guys, in my opinion, that all have, you know, these top two guys have upside to be the wide receiver one overall. These next two guys probably have upside to be top five wide receivers this year. Yep, for sure. And uh, it looks like Team 7 is going with the robust RB strategy, which is the complete opposite of what we're doing here. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is what you're going to see in some of your casual leagues. Some people are going to go off the fact that, oh, running backs are scarce. I got to load up and they're going to leave their first four rounds with Najee, Chubb, Zeke and James Conner, which... No, uh, I, I'm just going to snag DJ Moore, 160 target player last year, getting the quarterback upgrade he needed. He has a very good case to, I'm not going to say be this year's Cooper Cup, but from a pure target perspective, now getting that target quality added to it, he's got a case to be that next league winning asset at the wide receiver position. So I'm leaving my first four rounds with all of my three wide receiver spots locked, set it and forget it type of players. And my tar- Mark Andrews at my tight end spot, basically being that elite league winning type of tight end for the whole season for me. So although I don't have a running back, I'm winning at every single other position that I've drafted thus far. Yeah, exactly. So you're on the board again here. You got three wide receivers and an elite tight end. Where are you going? Yeah, so uh, there's one or there's actually two of my top tier quarterbacks left. I'm going to take one of them here. I'm going to get Kyler Murray locking in that other elite onesie position. And aside from our running back position, I have difference makers all over the board. Yeah. And uh, you just said you're one of your top two quarterbacks was left. The other one just fell to me. So I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts here. Uh, and I get, you know, Konami code rushing quarterback. And I'm actually, I believe Dalton Schultz is still on the board. So I'm actually going to take Dalton Schultz here with my other pick. And I am really surprised TJ Hawkinson went before him, but you know, it's definitely possible something like that happens in your home league. So I've started off my draft. Now I have a a difference making quarterback. I have what I would consider a a still pretty difference making tight end. And I have four elite wide receivers to lead out my team. So even though my running back position is going to be, you know, suboptimal, I have these uh, elite difference makers at the other positions. Yep. No, uh, no, no issues with that. Uh, I'm going to play the ADP game here, which is again, something you can do in your home leagues. My top ranked receiver would be Elijah Moore. Uh, and then I also like Rashad Bateman a lot too, but I really like a monitor St. Brown's outlook as well this year. And I think one of those other two get back to me. So playing the ADP game, I'll go with a monitor St. Brown and then hope one of those other two fall back to me, given where they are located on the draft board. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense there. And like, again, you see these dead zone running backs going off the board. You see guys like it started with like James Connor and Josh Jacobs, and David Montgomery, again, Brees Hall and ETN are kind of deviations that you can choose to make if you want to, if you're deploying a zero RB, but Elijah Mitchell, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, I mean, even AJ Dillon, Damian Harris, Cordero Patterson, Miles Sanders, just guys that have suboptimal outlooks relative to the receivers going uh, around them. Yep. No, uh, exactly. I mean, when we're comparing it, we're looking at my sixth round pick. There is no chance that Damon Harris is going to outscore Amon or St. Brown this year. And yet the reason why they're going in the same round in this draft is because people feel the need to address the running back position. Again, under that scarcity fallacy that a lot of people believe in. But as I kind of mentioned with my last pick, I was hoping one of Bateman or Elijah Moore fell to me. Uh, Elijah Moore did fall. I mean, he's, you guys would have seen the breakouts video uh, earlier this week, locked and loaded. He is my wide receiver five. 
Yeah, that's pretty insane. And uh, I was hoping Bateman, uh, Bateman would fall to me with the other pick, but I do get another second-year wide receiver that I think has a chance to break out this year. Stack him up with his quarterback, too, with Jalen Hurts. So I grabbed Devontae Smith there. I was hoping Gabriel Davis actually fell with my other pick because, I mean, I talked about Gabriel Davis in yesterday's video as a bust. But like I said, he's a bust relative to his underdog ADP, which is in like the mid-fourth round. But if you can get him at the at the 8-2, which is where he would have fell, uh, fell to me if I got him there, I'm okay with him at that point, especially as the wide receiver six on my roster. So I just want to peek at the running back position because there is some great zero RB targets on the board. And I would say the eighth round is typically the the first spot that you want to look at filling out your running back position. And there's a great zero RB target that I do not believe in the starter ahead of him. I'm going to take Tony Pollard here who gives me, if Tony Pollard hits this year, right? Like to the tune that we think Tony Pollard can hit to, I may have just gotten an RB one comparable to some of the guys that went in the mid first round, late, late, uh, uh, mid second round area in the eighth round after stacking up every other position on my roster, including both of my flexes. Yep. No, uh, I was going to take one of Pollard or hunt if they had fallen back. So I do think that's also a great pick. I would look at the running back position, but I do see kind of a flat tier here that I can target, I think in the next round and on. So uh, I'm actually going to get my other, my, another wide receiver added to this team. Some good options left here, uh, obviously with, you know, Brandon, IU, Chris Olave, Tyler Lockett, uh, looking there. I just want to see if there's anybody hidden in ADP to make sure. Okay, dope. Uh, I will take Brandon Ayuk. I think eighth round is a perfect spot for him. Uh, loading up on, again, another elite upside breakout potential wide receiver. And ultimately here, just looking at the running back board that can fall back to me. And scanning this, I mean, uh, I'm seeing plenty of options here. James Cook, uh, Rashad Penny, Melvin Gordon, et cetera here. I'm going to get James Cook uh, getting uh, you know exposure to that Bills offense receiving role out of that backfield. I'm not really a believer in Devin Singletary. So uh, I think James Cook can really carve out a good role on this team, treat it as, you know, a flex piece as opposed to an RB1 or RB2 piece on this team. Yeah, exactly. I was really hoping Melvin Gordon was going to fall to me, but he did not. Um, looking at the board right now, I think, and here's the thing with the, the zero RB strategy, right? The wide receiver position is way harder to replace on the waiver wire. So yes. what Danny did taking six wide receivers uh, when you can only start five is probably the smart approach if you're building out a zero RB because you want to win your flex each and every week. So that means that if you have bye weeks or if you know suffer some ticky tack injuries, if DJ Moore misses four games with a hamstring pull or something, you need to have another great wide receiver to be able to uh, slot into that because you want to win every other position outside of your running back positions. And uh, Brandon, I, you kind of accomplishes that goal for you. I'm looking at like, I really like Ramondre Stevenson. I think he can fall to me with my next pick here. Um, but I do think Christian Kirk is a guy and Russell, actually, you know what? I'm going to go Ramondre first and just hope one of those other guys falls to me. Okay. So they both did. So, um, with Ramondre and Tony Pollard, I get access to, and, and here's another big point that we want to hammer home with the zero RB draft strategy. When you're drafting running backs starting in round eight and through the rest of your draft, cause you want to draft plenty of them on your bench. You want to take differing archetypes, right? You don't want to just draft only handcuffs or only, you know, ambiguous backfield situations like Ramondre Stevenson or only pass catchers like Naeem Hines or only, you know, rookies like James Cook. You want to draft a combination of those things. You want to draft, you know, one handcuff, one ambiguous backfield, a couple pass catchers, et cetera, because then you have multiple avenues of hitting on those picks and worse comes to worse. You just throw a pass catching running back or something into your RB2 slot to get by for the time being, because you'll be so strong at the other position. So, on the board right now, 
The running back position, I'm probably going to wait because I want to get one more wide receiver to help build this out. Christian Kirk and Russell Gage are the two guys that I would probably be looking for. I think I'm going to go Christian Kirk because uh, I'm not going to need Russell Gage at the start of the season, which is when he's going to be most valuable with Chris Godwin probably going to be back at some point during the season. So I'm going to go with Christian Kirk. He was paid heavily as a um, a guy for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think as the season goes along, he can build up a strong connection with his quarterback. He's an easy target for Trevor Lawrence, and he's a good depth piece as my wide receiver six. Yep. No, I, I like that pick. Uh, and looking at the board now, so I got my, you know, I'll say like semi-steady running back in terms of James Cook in terms of his role in that offense. Now I'm going to get my projectable upside running back. And I've kind of talked about it in the past. We don't believe in the supposed starter entering the season for this team. They're going to be one of the best offenses in the league with access to a ton of goal line opportunity. And quite frankly, the running back ahead of him has shown no means to be able to command that type of goal line volume. I'm going to go with Ronald Jones. If anybody's going to be this year's James Conner, I think Ronald Jones has the profile to be able to develop into that. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good one. I probably would have gone with Madison there just because you don't you don't really have a handcuff. See what right I do here. He might have been a good uh, you know, a good archetype to go after, but I think Ronald Jones is a fine pick. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned Madison. Uh, the reason why I went with Ronald Jones over Alex Madison is that I have access to Daryl Henderson or Rashad White, whoever I would chose here at the 11-6. Um, I'll mix it up. I'll go with Daryl Henderson simply because at this current point in the offseason, if you're in drafts, I think he's got the biggest potential to rise in ADP given the health status of Cam Akers. So I think overall that running back backfield is kind of mispriced in general from a micro level. If Akers is the guy that we think he is, he is going way too low in the fourth round and vice versa. If he's not like Daryl Henderson should probably be an eighth round pick right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm a little pissed. I kind of wanted Naeem Hines access to some pass catching <laughs> upside, but uh, I'll take Rashad White. He could have a similar role to Naeem Hines potentially like in a way better offense. And uh, I get Algier, who I wanted to fall back to me. So uh, the way I've built out my running back course so far, I got four guys. I got one handcuff in a great offense. I got one ambiguous backfield guy in Ramondre Stevenson, who showed a lot of talent last year in a run heavy offense. I got a pass catching upside guy who's also a handcuff to Leonard Fournette. And I got Tyler Algier, who honestly might be a guy I can start right off the bat uh, at the beginning of the season if he can secure a full workload in like the preseason or whatever. Yep, uh, I'm back on the clock here. I was I was kind of hoping, you know, Rashad White would have fallen, but I mean, that, that was a great pick by you. Um, in a full PPR, uh, I, I took, you know, the Bills pass catching running back with James Cook. Uh, I'll just take the guy that they actually intended to sign that actually, you know, waved off his signing, if you will, and went back to his original team. J.D. McKissick in a full PPR, supplementing that points. Again, the reason why we are taking running backs in this round 9 to 13 range is that as bad as we are at predicting running backs in the dead zone between rounds 3 and 7, we actually we actually are maybe just as good as targeting these running backs in the 9 to 13 range. And quite frankly, the expected value of running backs selected in rounds 9 to 13 actually historically suits uh, – actually historically outproduces the running back selected in the dead zone. So loading up here, uh, I have four running backs that I'm semi-confident in, both from a profile standpoint with the upside with, you know, Ronald Jones and Daryl Henderson, along with the steady point potential of Cook and McKissick. But the main thing you should take away here is that this is not the final running back core I'm going to end with. Maybe not even going to the season, definitely not by week four. We'll kind of touch upon it after the draft in terms of exactly what I mean by that. But you guys will see round 13 here. Gainwell would have been a nice archetype. Marlon back targeting another ambiguous backfield. Ultimately, I'm going to go with another high upside profile running back here with Khalil Herbert. Obviously, we saw 
when Dar- uh, when David Montgomery missed last year, this was a back that had 20 opportunities per game. We know that he was efficient on those touches, and we know that the Bears are a projectable volume situation as opposed to an offensive situ- insulation situation, meaning that once we spot the clear handcuff, which is Khalil Herbert, if Montgomery misses any time, Khalil Herbert walks into, at minimum, a top 20 to 15 running back ranking type of mold, getting that at 13th round opportunity cost. Right. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. I'm going to go with another pass catching guy that I think has a ton of upside. I'm not huge on James Conner this year. So Darrell Williams showed a lot with the chiefs last year. I think he's going to carve out a pass catching role similar to Chase Edmonds in the Cardinals offense um, in recent years. So I'm going to go with Darrell Williams here. I'm at kind of a crossroads for my final round pick. Part of me wants to take Mark Ingram just because I mean, if Alvin Kamara gets suspended for the first four games or the first six games or whatever in my build, I need early production because I have, you know, a couple handcuffs, a couple of rookies. It would make sense to go for a guy like Mark Ingram, who I can probably locked and loaded start as my RB2 uh, for the first you know couple weeks of the season, and then maybe churn him once Alvin Kamara comes back. But I'm actually going to go with a, another ambiguous backfield, another rookie too, in uh, Tyrion Davis-Price. And hopefully between these you know seven running backs or six running backs that I drafted, I can piece together RB1 and two production for the first couple weeks of the season. I think going into the year, Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson would probably be my starters, but there's a chance that Tyler Algier secures a big workload or something like that. Um, and as the season goes along, Rashad White, Darrell Williams, and, and Tyrion Davis-Price have some weeks that I can use them. Exactly. Um, my final pick here, I was kind of eyeing his teammate earlier on, but I, I was hoping he made it back in the ninth round with Chase Edmonds. I'm going to get Sony Michelle, and the basis of the Sony Michelle pick is that we know that the uh, the system that is going to be run in Miami, and quite frankly, I think Miami is an inadequately priced backfield as a whole right now, because ultimately here, we expect Edmonds to get you know most of the work, including the third down work. But as we've saw with his time in Arizona, he is not a back that's going to be trusted in the red zone. He's not a back that's going to be trusted in the goal line. You know who is trusted in the goal line? You know who is trusted in those scoring opportunity areas? Is Sony Michelle, as we saw with his time in the Rams, as we saw with his time with the Patriots. So getting access to uh, what should be an above-average offense, getting access to those goal line opportunities at 14th-round opportunity cost with Sony Michelle, I think this is a guy that's going to keep rising as the offseason goes on because Quite frankly, we talk about, oh, the running back room, there's so many bodies. In terms of archetype, Raheem Mostert is a slasher type of running back. Chase Edmonds, as I mentioned, is the pass catcher. Sony Michelle is that more physical between the tackles runner that profiles into that goal line role that we covet for a team that we think can ascend from an offensive perspective. Yeah, and, and Sony Michelle ranked top 10 in the NFL in red zone touches last year, despite yep. not really being a huge part of the um, of the workload for the whole season. He was just, you know, to close out the season, he was their main back. So yeah, I think that's a great pick. And like Danny said, after the draft, so the draft is now over. You guys can see our teams. We built out very strong wide receiver cores, very strong quarterbacks, and very strong tight ends, especially for Danny. After the draft, the way you want to handle the running back position is that you are the running back fiend of all running back fiends. Anytime a starter goes down, Anytime a great running back has a few bad weeks that you could potentially trade for, you are on the t- on the prowl for this. Your fab budget is allocated almost exclusively to the running back position because you will be so strong at wide receiver, you'll be so strong at quarterback and so strong at tight end if you execute this properly that your running back position is really the only position you're seeking upside in. And you know some of the guys that we drafted, maybe they turn into guys for us and we don't even need to bother with this. But for the most part, um, half of these picks aren't going to work out. The, the, the final round picks, the reality is just the hit rates are not that high. So we're going to churn those players. Let's say, you know, um, Leonard Fournette's looking like a stud. I want to churn R- Rashad White midseason or something like that. And I pick up, uh, you know, 
Matt Breida because Saquon Barkley has gone down for a couple games. Matt Breida might be thrust into a workload of like, you know, 20 touches or whatever for a couple games. Then you make those um, moves at that time. Yeah, no, exactly. And the the fun part about a zero RB is like someone in your stream may stream defenses. Somebody in your stream may stream uh, or in your league may stream tight ends, quarterback, et cetera. You're essentially treating your running backs as a position that you're not really holding much commitment to. And validly so, given the opportunity cost of the guys you selected. We've seen multiple times, as we kind of alluded to before the draft, that you're going to have instances where Elijah Mitchells will show up on the waiver wire. You're going to have instances where even running backs with less permanency will show up on the waiver wire. And at that point, we have five budgets. We have waiver priority for a reason. That is when you go and make your play. Again, by the way, if you are planning on conducting a zero RB, you make sure you go to your league commissioner right now and say, hey, listen, can we switch from a waiver priority system to a fab bidding system? Because that gives you the whole control and being able to acquire said running back talent on the wire. Because ultimately, as we know, running backs are a hot commodity for a lot of leagues. If you're going to be able to get that production for fab budget as opposed to draft pick opportunity costs in your uh, actual draft, that's going to be way more advantageous for you in season. As long as you're diligent, as long as you're willing to do the dirty work, do the grunt work and being able to grind those waiver wires out. Right. And actually the waiver priority system won't be that terrible of a, of a way to get running back production because chances are, you're not going to win a lot of games early on in the season. So there's a chance that you're high in the waiver priority list and you get the Elijah Mitchell this year because you, you lost week one and barely scored any points because you were starting, you know, Tyler Algier in your RB one slot or whatever. So Definitely possible. Like you said, there's guys like Devontae Booker. There's guys like Darrell Williams from last year, Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny that are going to show up in spurts, maybe not for the entire season, but for four or five games here and there. All you have to do is figure out your, your RB1 and 2 slot on every any given week, and you usually will always have fallback options like a J.D. McKissick type, like a Darrell Williams type, who you can use as a pass-catching running back in the worst-case scenario. And in the best-case scenario, you have guys like mine, Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson, who could be thrust into huge workloads if anything happens to the starter in front of them. And then all of a sudden you're in a position to, to totally dominate your league because you're going to not only strong at all the positions, but now you're strong at running back. No, exactly. Uh, and the same thing with the profile, like Ronald Jones, if Clyde Edwards Hilaire missed any time, you're getting the starting running back for the Kansas city chiefs, which as we know, holds a ton of value from an opportunity perspective. Same thing with cam Akers with Darrell Henderson, being able to, spot the archetypes and balance the archetypes in the zero RB, especially in a more managed league is ultimately going to help you. Cause as we know, there are different profiles of running back. That's going to come on the waiver wire. Obviously you want to prioritize the ones with the highest upside at that point, given the opportunity at hand. Yeah. And, and what we know about injury rates too, is that as the season goes along, your team is probably going to get stronger because the rest of your teams in your league who are built upon a bunch of running backs like team seven here are going to suffer injuries, right? They, because they're running backs, they're more likely to get injured and you're picking up their backups. They're not getting their backups. You're probably going to pick them up because you're willing to spend more of your fab on it because that's the only position that you need to address for the most part on the waiver wire. So you're able to um, make your team stronger with their backups and inherently make their team weaker because they're losing that production from their starting running backs. That they may have spent a first or a second round pick on. Exactly. You're basically holding all the upside from a comparative point scoring perspective, especially in a full PPR, you're at a level even term or even terms coming out of your draft. Only as we kind of mentioned, it's way more likely their running back given workload, given injury rates is going to miss time than your highly selected, highly um, invested in wide receivers will. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's the zero RB draft strategy. Again, we, we think it's viable, but again, given those disclaimers at the beginning, if you're an experienced fantasy player and your league market dictates that it might be viable, then zero RB is definitely viable. But I wouldn't say like, oh man, this video was so informative. I'm going to go out and do a zero RB. No, you want to make sure that it is viable in your league format and make sure that it makes sense. It's a tool that you can use if shit hits the fan and all the running backs are flying off the board fast and furious and you get to the 111 and you can stack up two wide receivers. Ultimately, the biggest thing you should consider before going into zero RB, in my opinion, is what type of running back profiles are available to you at the top of your draft. I would say, again, if you're in the sixth pick and running backs go off the way they did in this draft, yes, grab Cooper Cup, he's an elite wide receiver. But when you're at, let's say, the second round pick, if Saquon Barkley had fallen to me, I would have gone with Saquon Barkley because of the access to the elite league winning ceiling that is available with a guy like Saquon Barkley. Understanding that you're not just forcing a Nick Chubb into your running back spot just because, you know, he's going to have, you know, a a good workload and he's a stud runner or forcing, you know, um, Ezekiel Elliott into your running back two slot just because he's going to be a safe, secure top 10 running back. You know, he's never finished below RB 10 on a overall fantasy point basis which again is going to be a stress narrative going into the redraft season you don't want to target those type of safe secure running backs as Corey would have actually mentioned in a recent video stop drafting these safe running backs because ultimately here if you're taking a running back early they are not safe if they don't meet that 8.3 percent expected best ball win rate then they are just a wasted pick at that point, which again, a comparative wide receiver in that spot is going to have more opportunity to surpass them in win rate. Yeah. And to your point where you took Mark Andrews, I actually have Javante Williams rated higher. So I would have taken Javante Williams in that position. And then at that point, I'm not conducting a zero RB. So it's all dependent on what falls to you, what positions are the best available on the board. The best time to, to execute a zero RB is when you realize that RBs are flying off the board and wide receiver, tight end, quarterback value has fallen to you like nobody's business. So if you guys enjoyed this video, I hope uh, it was a little longer than we usually like to go, about 40 minutes or so. But uh, hit the like button if you enjoyed. Comment any of your thoughts down below. What are your thoughts on the strategy? What do you guys uh, think of the video overall? We will be doing this for Hero RB, for Bimodal ID, uh, RB, etc. going forward. So um, make sure to subscribe to the channel to stay tuned for all that. Uh, how to? Uh, who's the next league-winning quarterback will be coming to you guys on Monday. We'll have uh, Dynasty Decisions on Sunday, all that good stuff for you. So make sure you stay tuned for everything we got going on. And again, if you want to support us, patreon.com forward slash fantasy stock exchange, or check out underdog fantasy to put some of this advice into action. Best ball is also a great environment to deploy a zero RB because of how big the rosters are. So uh, use the promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit, and you'll get hundred percent back on whatever you put in. So if you want to do a couple best ball manias, you put in 50 bucks, you'll have a hundred to play with on the site. You can do four best ball mania drafts with that, or you could do you know 20 puppy drafts with that. Uh, puppies are closing fast and furious right now. So with that being said, peace out and we'll talk to you soon.